Wow, good morning again. For those of you that are just joining us, we are currently in a series called Major Prophet from the Minor Prophets. I'm trying to get this thing to, you just, you'll just go right there. Okay. Major Prophet from the Minor Prophets. And we went through Amos and we are partway through Habakkuk and we'll be making our way into Malachi. But so much of what we're looking at uh, in these in this major prophet series on the minor prophets, stay with me now, is I think about, Glenn spoke a few months ago, he was talking about the road to Emmaus, and, and something that Jesus said to the disciples on Emmaus was, uh, he explained scripture to them, so scripture at that time being the Old Testament. And what he says to them is, it all points to me, it all points to me, to Jesus, and, and they missed it. And so as we're diving into these books of the Old Testament, I think the important thing to, to, to look at, and the reason why we want to be a people that, is, that understands the Old Testament is because it all points to Jesus. And when we read the New Testament, we can better understand what the authors are saying because guess what? gospel they were bringing the word out of. The Old Testament, you know? They're talking about Jesus's life. They're explaining his, his death and resurrection and ascension, but their gospel, their word, what they had invested in, remembered where they had spent their time would have been the Old Testament. So we want to not neglect the Old Testament. As we've been looking in this series, uh, on, uh, in this uh, book of Habakkuk, we've seen uh, a character that I think is incredibly relatable. We see in chapter 1 that Habakkuk is, is discouraged, disheartened, dejected, upset, frustrated, agitated, angry at the seeming injustice of God. And in that, he approaches God and he wants a response because he doesn't understand God's ways. And God says in, in, in kind of, in short, when we look at, I think it was chapter two, verse four, that the righteous live by faith. And what that means, or what he's saying to Habakkuk in the most simplest way is, trust me, trust me. And that needs to resonate, that faith, that trusting needs to resonate in our lives today. This wasn't just a trusting that was needed for Habakkuk, it is a trusting that we need today. When I think about this concept of trust, I think about in Luke 8, uh, Jesus is on the boat, you know, there's the storm, disciples are in there, and they're, they're, they're a little afraid, I think, to put it lightly. They think they're going to die, right? Like they're, they're pretty well, God, what are you doing? Jesus, what are you doing? We're gonna die. And in Luke 8, his response is simple and it's beautiful and it's similar to what he says to Habakkuk. He looks at the disciples and he says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And I love that because he doesn't say, listen, guys, you just need to have a little faith. Just believe. He goes, where is it? Where is it? There's an expectation. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous 
will trust in God and his ways. And even though last week on Father's Day it wasn't part of it wasn't part of this particular series, but I reminded us of the text in Isaiah that says his ways are higher than our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. My encouragement was let's not get caught up in thinking too lofty of ourselves which also ties in with chapter two of Habakkuk, because what's he say about the enemy, the Babylonians? They're puffed up, right? They're puffed up. They think very highly of themselves. They think very highly of their thoughts. They think very highly of their ways. If a fishing net brings them fish, they celebrate the net, you know? It's a, it was a, it's a wild time, and it seems... When we look at it in its, in its context with Babylon, it seems hard to understand. But my reminder to you was this puffed up idolatry is a very easy trap to fall into. It's a very easy trap to fall into. We don't want to design God based on the way we think and understand. We want to trust God based on the ways he thinks and understands. Because they're higher than our ways. Amen? Amen. What a relief. Some people like to be in control. I'm one of those people. Shocking. You never would have guessed. You never would have guessed. But I do. I like things to be the way I want them to be. I like to design things so that they have a flow and they make sense. And that can be really helpful. But it but when we think that we have the solutions and we stop relying and trusting on God, we get ourselves in trouble. And so as we look at this third chapter of Habakkuk, I'm going to remind us of some things I said at the end of the second chapter. We see an amazing, okay, Habakkuk has, is frustrated at the seeming injustice of God. God says, trust me, and then I promised that this week we would show you that Habakkuk experiences an, a magnificent transformation. And that transformation is a transformation of focus. You with me? Okay. Where was Habakkuk's focus in chapter one? It went to two places. Do we remember? Chapter one. His focus was on the fact that Israel was a crummy lot. And they weren't doing a good job holding up their end of the commandment of their covenant with, with God. And so God presents him with a solution that he tells him he's not going to understand. And he doesn't understand it. Uh, and so then he's frustrated at the fact that now we have evil that is going to, to rule. Why does that make any sense? So now in trusting God, we're going to see a major transformation in his focus. The focus was on things that he could see, and we'll see a transformation to thing from Habakkuk's focus, from things he could see to things he could not see, but things he knew were true about God. And this, at the end of uh, the second sermon in the series, I said there's a transformation from fear to faith from protest to praise, from puffed up to trusting in God. And I'm going to add one for this week. And that's from insecurity 
to joy. And when I say joy here, I mean the resolute assurance that God hasn't lost interest in our problems or the power to deal with our problems. We might not understand what, that, what his resolve is in it, but he hasn't lost interest and he hasn't lost the power to deal with it. That's the joy, the rejoicing, this inner peace that Habakkuk lands in here in chapter 3. So, end of chapter 2, God says, all the nations will be silent. Habakkuk takes a time of silence. We don't know how long that time is, and that's what brings us to 3. And I'm going to invite up Kim to, to read the word this morning. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow and called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens, and the glint of your flying arrows, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in your anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So we see here an amazingly different posture from Habakkuk in this prayer, right? From what we saw earlier, there was like an, an indignance, a frustration. He was going to stand at his watch and wait on the answer from the Lord. His posture in this prayer is remarkably different, wouldn't you say? Very different. He hears from God, and he's silent, and he thinks and he processes for some amount of time. When the reality hits him, 
it brings him to this place of incredible like grief. And we see this in chapter 16. It says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. And the literal translation of the Hebrew here for my heart pounded is my guts turned. My guts turned. I was, it was like this like just agony that he felt at receiving this word from the Lord. But it, meanwhile, he says, even though I'm weak, I'm on my knees, I'm crying, my legs are trembling, yet I'll wait patiently on the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And that brings us into 17. And this, is, this is a posture that we all can learn from. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no fruit... Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, in 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And he says it again. I will, joyful, I will be joyful in God my Savior. As we look through 17, all these, there won't be, we won't have stuff. In, and, and at this time, to not have the figs, to not have the grapes, to not have the olives, to to have the fields produce no food. This was their means of equity. This is how they made money and lived. And so Habakkuk's saying, if you take everything I have, I will rejoice in you. As I was thinking about this, and, and I, I listened to Tim Keller talk about this a little bit, I, uh, you know, I reflected on my own posture of giving to God. And I'm on a tangent here just for a minute, so hold tight. This wasn't in the plan, folks, but we're going. Okay, you with me? Okay. How often, you know, for me, everyone's different, but for me, if I'm excited about something, right? I know there's people in the room who can relate. If I'm excited about something, then how easy is it for me to put my money where my excitement is? It's pretty easy, right? I'm going to pick on my buddy Boo, who's in the back room, so he can't defend himself. But Boo and I, we love electronics. And, and when, we, when we put something together, we put it together right, which means we spare no expense. Maybe you're a baseball fan, and you've got, you know, one of your traditions. We don't live anywhere near Yankee Stadium, but maybe one of your traditions is, is to go to Yankee Stadium and, and, and watch the Yankees play take your kids and watch the Yankees play. Well, if, if, if you love baseball, it doesn't matter. The prices are astronomical. You're like, ah, oh, this is great. But if your kids love baseball and this is something you do for them, you might look at the prices and go, ah, what am I doing? I'm not going to do this. When we look at the state that Habakkuk's in here, his posture of giving of himself is remarkable. And I want to encourage us to think, where do our passions lie? Where does our focus lie, right? We've talked about idolatry, and I think that oftentimes that can be very, can feel very foreign to us. Why? Because it's sneaky. But ask yourself, when you're giving of yourself for the glory of God, does it feel like the church your friends, 
yourself has to drag it out of you to get a penny or an hour? Are you excited about it as you're as excited as you are about that a nice vacation or a sweet new toy? Adult toy, like a bike or a boat or, you know, something like that. Are you as excited about it? I would guess no. I'm not saying that in a, you stink, I'm great. I'm saying that in a wake-up call for all of us, right? Where is our focus? Where are our priorities? And is it a joy to give to God? Or is it being dragged out of us? You might have to check your heart if it's a drag. Amen? Woohoo! Glorious. You're like, man, I should have gotten a warning before coming this morning. This is a wrong Sunday to be at church. Don't worry, there's more. All right, so we're going to dive into this text. And the two things I want to, well, the one thing that I want to, to, to talk about specifically is rejoicing. And this concept of rejoicing, we see this throughout Scripture. And I want us to think, okay, what is rejoicing? We, we know it. I mean, it can't be a, a feeling, right? It's not just purely happiness because uh, in, in uh, Philippians, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So you have an apostolic command from Paul to rejoice always, but he's not saying we should always be happy, right? So let's Two things, let's understand what rejoicing is. Let's understand the fact that rejoicing can happen always. And I want to I want to give two elements that I see in this text that can lead to a posture of peace as we rejoice. And that's remembering and then rejoicing itself. In the first part of this chapter, Habakkuk is talking about the splendor of God. I mean, it's really remarkable the way he describes God's glory in this first section of the chapter. But, but his, what Habakkuk is doing, what I believe he's doing, is he's remembering the Exodus, okay? So the Exodus is like, it would be the gospel for the people at this time, Right? Incredible parallels, right? God came and saved them from suffering and slavery. And it wasn't by what they did, but it was by what he did. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar. There's a lot of repeating in time. And God came and through the Exodus and he saved his people from suffering and slavery. And they didn't do it. He did. So Habakkuk is reflecting on the, uh, on the Exodus. He's remembering. It says, Pestilence and plagues, that's the, what God used to get them out of Egypt. Shaking of the ground, that's what God did at Mount Sinai. Trem, uh, tr- uh, trampling of the sea, that's like the Red Sea crossing. And we see that in, as Habakkuk is praying through, remembering the Exodus, he, he, he's just It's like ingraining it into his heart. Remember, remember, remember. Until we see verse 16, and there's this shift. There's a shift, 
And ultimately, I believe that in the remembering, this shift brings Habakkuk to a place of peace. And like I talked about with Jesus on the, in the storm, he waters, he says, where is your faith? Where is your trust? We have more than Habakkuk had. Habakkuk had the exodus. We have Jesus Christ. And so as we remember, 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 it gives us this, the, the reminder of all of who God is. And we see the paramount of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We've talked a lot over, I think, through the Amos study, we've talked a lot about promises and the fact that God is a God of promises. Amen? And he keeps his promises. So as we remember and we see all the promises that God has kept, we can reflect on the things that God will, the promises he will keep. And that can give us stability in storms, can transform our focus from the seeming injustice of God to a posture of praise, trusting God and rejoicing. At this point, I want to move into this concept of rejoicing. And we see that it's not just a feeling. I talked about this earlier because Paul commands, apostolically commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And this isn't a command to always be happy. No. Instead, He's talking about a discipline, a practice. It's something that you have to repeat, 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 right? So we have remember, remember who God is, remember his promises. And then like any discipline, it requires repeating, right? So when we're in hard times, where do our eyes go? Do our eyes go to the storm or do our eyes go to Jesus? Right? And this doesn't mean that the storm, you know, I think we get this, this idea that, well, in order to, to trust God, then I have to, you know, keep myself together, shirts nice and buttoned up, you know, smile on my face. God's good. Right? Selfie, throw that on social media. My life's amazing. Right? That's what we're going to do. Because God is good. But that's not what we see in the rejoicing here. Let's think about Job for a second. Many of us know the story of Job. When all the crummy stuff, and it was crummy, it's as crummy as it gets. I can't imagine. Happens to Job, and he, he goes out. Does he, you know, shirt nice and buttoned up, walk out? God is good. No. He tears his clothes, falls on the ground, covers his head in ashes, weeps and grieves. And you know what Scripture says about what Job does there? He never did anything wrong. I'd be concerned that in a lot of churches today, there'd be people that would see that and their posture would be, well, they're just not trusting God. 
they're just not trusting God. That's not true, because we see in Job, right? And then what else do we see? We see it in Habakkuk, right? His guts are turning, his knees are weak, he's falling down on his face, he's crying, and how's that described? Despite all the things, he's doing what? Rejoicing. He's rejoicing. So it doesn't have to be all together. It doesn't have to be smiling. Maybe it's weeping. That's why Paul can say rejoice in the Lord always. It wasn't that he didn't weep. Let's look at the life of Jesus. He wept all the time. He was perfect. And in his perfection, he understand how hurting the world was. And that was incredibly grieving to him. So rejoicing is not a happy feeling, necessarily. It can be. It can present that way. It's also not about being all put together. We talked about, I don't know, two weeks ago, the fact that, you know, we, ha- we are all walking through things. This book of Habakkuk is dealing with evil seasons, Now, in his case, it's an evil season of culture and society. Maybe we're experiencing some of that today. But we certainly walk through our own individual evil seasons of hurt and pain. And we took those three-by-five cards in the first week, and I reminded us, hey, we're all in this together. We dress up relatively nice on Sunday. I like to do it too. But when we look around the room, we can go, hey, We're all walking through seasons together. And they're not always easy. And they can be really, really hard. And we want to be people that embrace those who are rejoicing in hardship rather than condemning those who are rejoicing in hardship. Like Job's friends. You must have done something wrong, evil twerp. You pissed God off because he is raining on your parade. Right? (laughs) We don't want to be that way. We want to encourage people to rejoice in the Lord. I think of Luke 10. So, okay, so, so we've talked about what rejoicing can look like, right? It can look like grieving. It can look like tearing the clothes, weeping, ash on head, shaving your head, you name it. Let's look and encourage each other to rejoice. But we see kind of the key, I think, to rejoicing in Luke 10. When Jesus sends out his disciples, I think it's the 72. Um, not remembering correctly, but that might be. And, and so he sends out the disciples, right? They go out and he's given them power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. It's remarkable. And these These disciples go and they do these things and they come back, no shock. I'll tell you what, if I was sent out with the power to heal people and I'm walking through the streets and people are just getting healed, like I would be pretty ecstatic too. I'd be like, this is nuts. Wow, how cool. And that's how the disciples felt when they came back. God, they do crazy things in your name. We can cast out demons and heal. It's amazing. We're like Jesus superstars. But what's Jesus say to them? This is is it right here, folks. Hold on tight. Jesus says, do not rejoice 
that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We sang, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Rejoice that your name is in heaven. It's not about what you're doing or what you do. It's about accepting who Jesus is. And in that acceptance, your name is written in heaven. The freedom that comes in the living this life when you understand that there's so much to come. The best is still to come. Where is your focus? Where are your priorities? My tangent, despite being tangent-y, is relevant, right? Where's your focus? Where are your priorities? Put your money where your mouth is. And your time, right? Where's your focus? Where's your priorities? None of the things you have here, right? We all believe, we, we've said it, I've said it, I've said it at least a dozen times in this sermon that we are uh, beautifully and wonderfully made. And what are we made for? We're made to bring glory to God, right? For the works that he has laid out for us, right? I've said that again and again and again and again and again. And I've gotten many amens. So I think there's quite a few people in the room that are with me on this one, okay? So we understand our identity as children of God. It's important that we show that in what we do in how we behave with our money, with our time. Because it's all a gift. We got it from God. We were beautifully and wonderfully made. Guess where you were beautifully and wonderfully made? You were beautifully and wonderfully made in a country where we are comfortable. You understand where I'm going with this? You were beautifully and wonderfully made in a, in a country where you are comfortable. There is suffering, but most of us are very comfortable. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with that? Because you want to know what that is? It's a gift. It's not yours. It's not yours. Where's your priority with your time and your money? Is it on you, on this time, on this gift? Is it on the gift or is it on the giver? Right? I should really have stayed home today. Yeah? So where's your focus? We know God will defeat evil, bring justice to all, rescue the oppressed and the innocent. We know this to be true. So where is our focus? Is our focus on the things around us, the things that bother us, the things that frustrate us, or is our focus on Christ? I know I sound like, uh, I don't know, a clanging gong, that's probably just on my mind just because I had to read it <laughs> at the wedding yesterday. But I, I, repeating, 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 right? But scripture does that. It repeats and repeats and repeats. And the reason why I'm repeating is, is because it's important. First Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So much of our functioning is dictated by our 
focus. So much of our functioning is dictated by our focus. If our focus are on the things that aren't the way we like them, you will be bitter and angry and frustrated, and you can do that for your whole life, I promise, if your focus is there. I promise you it. But if your focus is on things above, it is incredibly transformative. Okay? Uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you were raised with Christ, we all believe this, those who believe in Christ Jesus believe this today, seeking those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is, hold on, any, any, this is important, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, anything, okay, remember the fig trees, no buds, vines are empty, all of crops are failing, no sheep, no cattle. For Habakkuk, there was nothing in this narrative that he says. If this is the case, there's, suddenly there's nothing. But yet, Habakkuk's saying, despite the nothing, there is something. Are you with me? Despite the nothing, there is something. And we know what that something is. What is it? Jesus! Jesus Christ, it's God. There is always something. Meditate on these things. Folks, I'm going to invite up the musicians. As we wrap up Habakkuk and think about this life lived or an expression of how to live life despite evil times. As we see the seeming injustice of God, or we see injustices in the world, it's good that we raise our frustrations and pray in all things. It's good that we lift these things to God, our concerns, our questions. Why is it good? Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So it's good that we raise these things to God. And God says to us, my ways are higher, my thoughts are higher, and I am bringing about good. Trust me. Trust me. And I pray for you today that as you trust and embrace the goodness of God, despite the evil in the world, despite the hardship in our own lives, that as you embrace this, you will experience, I'm praying for you, that you will experience an incredible peace mm. and a joy to be able to rejoice in God no matter what and encourage those around you to do the same. Let's pray. God, I thank you 
for this morning. I pray that you would just be working in and through us as we continue to learn and grow from each other and from your word. God, I pray that we would remember, remember, remember all the incredible things that you have done and that we would repeat to ourselves these wonderful things. God, as we, we are coming together for communion today, I pray that we would, we would remember, remember, remember and embrace the incredible gift that our names are written in heaven. And as we focus on that, everything else just becomes life. God, I just pray that you would bless us in this time of remembrance. In Jesus' name, amen.